the twenty-fifth day of December, when ages beyond number had run their course from the creation of the world, when God in the beginning created heaven and earth, and formed man in his own likeness, when century upon century had passed, since the Almighty set his bow in the clouds after the great flood, as a sign of covenant and peace. In the twenty-first century since Abraham, our father in faith, came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. In the thirteenth century since the people of Israel were led by Moses in the exodus from Egypt. Around the thousandth year since David was anointed king. In the sixty-fifth week of the prophecy of Daniel, in the one hundred and ninety-fourth Olympiad, in the year seven hundred and fifty-two since the foundation of the city of Rome, in the forty-second year of the reign of Caesar Octavian Augustus, the whole world being at peace, Jesus Christ, Eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his most loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and when nine months had passed since his conception, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man. The Nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the flesh. Merry Christmas and welcome back to Shifflet This is episode 7, our Christmas debrief episode. And it's been a weekend of family and laughter and cheer, and, depending on your family, potential infighting. Now, I received a text message a couple of days ago from a friend. And we are still friends after this text message. Thankfully, it did not break our friendship. But he said, I don't want to be that guy, but did you know that the title of your most recent episode means the cow mandate? I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud more than I've laughed in quite a while. I did not know that mandatum vaccinum meant the cow mandate, but uh, after talking to a friend of mine, it makes sense. The word vaccine is actually derived from cow because the first vaccines used a cowpox variant to inoculate against smallpox. So we get the word vaccine in English from the Latin word cow, vaccinum, or in Spanish, vaca, because of how the first vaccines were created. Now, I could have changed the episode title, and I could have re-syndicated it to all of my feeds and updated things, but I decided, you know, what, what the heck? It's one little mistake. People aren't going to notice. It's actually kind of funny when you think about it. The cow mandate, like sheep being led to the slaughter. Um, the governmental totalitarian slaughter, that is. Uh, it kind of is um, 
appropriate if you look at it in certain ways. So, lesson learned. Next time I decide to name an episode in Latin, I will check with a friend of mine who knows more Latin than myself. And no, that will not be you, Cesar Mendoza. Now, the next thing is the All-American Boys Chorus. I used to sing in the All-American Boys Chorus uh, from 6th grade to about 8th grade. I was in it for three years. And it was one of the best times of my life. It was an amazing experience. It was a, um, well, let me just read a bit from their website for you. The mission of the All-American Boys Chorus is to empower and give voice to boys from diverse backgrounds in order to build self-confidence, discipline, leadership skills, and achievement through the transformative power of music. Our programs, that is, the programs of the All-American Boys Chorus, progress through different stages of cognitive development, transforming an individual from a beginner vocalist to a seasoned performer, while instilling leadership skills through peer-to-peer mentoring. All choristers participate in after-school and weekend music lessons with rehearsals at our campus, as well as performances, recordings, national and international concert tours, and an annual week-long summer camp. So that's the... um, That's the information about the All-American Boys Chorus from their website. I was, like I said, I was in it for three years. There were a lot of rehearsals. If you ask my mom and dad, they were driving me to Costa Mesa two, three, four times a week. And that was um, not, not including all of the Christmas concerts and the summer concerts and uh, it, it, it got to be a lot. I, I th- think I don't appreciate it uh, because I, I didn't drive. I was just the one being driven. So I don't appreciate um, how much time and effort was put into getting me places. But it was a lot. It was a lot. It was three or four rehearsals a week. And the concerts and the summer camp. And I was... Um, blessed to be able to go on three tours. I went on a American Midwest tour. I went on a Canadian tour. And I actually uh, had the opportunity to go on a tour to Asia. I went to the People's Republic of China, South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Japan. Um, And we sang in all of those places uh, to crowds of thousands. It was amazing. So the the boys chorus was um, a big part of my childhood and a big part of what you might call my formation as an individual, as a human being, as a person, as a man. And I learned a lot from the chorus and it formed me um, in ways that, honestly, as an adult, I really haven't reflected on or thought deeply about, but it might be good to do so. They're a world-class choir. They really are. Up there, I think, with the Vienna Boys Chorus. And um, I'm going to play a little clip of Winter Wonderland, just for your listening enjoyment. (laughs) 
that I bring up the All-American Boys Chorus is that last week, the Boys Chorus had a free concert in the Orange Circle. Uh, the concert was open to anyone, and we got a postcard at home that said free concert, and our ears perked up when we saw the word free. And uh, I thought, you know what, just for shits and gills, let's visit the old stomping grounds and see how the boys are doing. And it was amazing. The concert was amazing. Um, the music was was fantastic. I walked <laughs> I walked in into the doors, and immediately I got a tap on my shoulder, and I turned, and it was Wesley Martin, the music director of the All American Boys Chorus, and he said hello, Philip, in his uh, rich Australian accent. And it was just, it was delightful that he recognized me so quickly and right off the bat. <clears throat> um, I saw a couple of other people um, at the concert that I had sung in the chorus with. And you know, from my memory, the chorus did not change. Uh, I mean, that's a good thing. They sounded just as... Oh, just as festive, just as cheerful, just as glorious as ever. And it was good to be there. Good to support what I grew up with in middle school. Good to support them. And um, I do want to play one more clip. This is, uh, the, the last clip was recorded. They were doing um, carolograms. So you could, for a certain amount of money, you could purchase a carologram and they would sort of insert uh, some message in a, a pre-recorded video. And so that's where the, the music came from previously. But this next one is live, and these were the, the, hand, the handbell ensemble. They had a handbell ensemble. And they really were quite good. I remember um, I was in the handbell ensemble when I was in the boys' chorus. And it's quite technically challenging. It's not an easy instrument to play, even though you think, oh, this, you're just holding a couple bells and you got to ring them, but you got to ring them at the right time. And sometimes you got to pick up new bells and then you have key changes and it has to all be in um, sync with everyone else around you and. If you get off by one half a measure, then you just, you've ruined the whole thing. And they were playing for a good two or three minutes. And it was really um, aurally visual, stunning. Is that the right word? Aurally? A-U-R-A-L-L-Y? It means like... Um, not orally stunning, like with the mouth, but stunning to the ears. Anyway, it was um, stunning. L let's just say stunning. <laughs> so uh, here is um, a brief excerpt from the Handbell Ensemble 
live in the orange circle last week. When we come back from the break, what is the meaning of Christmas? There is a lot of talk this year about the meaning of Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? Keep Christ in Christmas, you see on bumper stickers nationwide. What is the meaning of Christmas? I want to reflect a bit on this by looking at the three prefaces to the Eucharistic prayer for Christmas. This is a kind of lex orandi, lex credendi. What that means in Latin, I, I think, I've not proven to be um, an adequate Latinist by any stretch of the imagination, but what I think it means, what I've learned it means, is the law of prayer is the law of belief. And what that means is if you want to look, if you want to know what someone believes, look at how they pray. Look at what they pray. And so we can look at the church's prayers to inform us about the church's belief. So if we want to know the meaning of Christmas, look at the prayers that the church prays during the Christmas season. Look at those prayers. What are they saying? What are they saying about Christ? What are they saying about the world? What are they saying about the church? And we'll know the meaning of Christmas. So I have four prayers here. The first is the Christmas proclamation, so-called. And I sang this at the beginning of this podcast. The Christmas proclamation. In it... Um, we pray, Jesus Christ, eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his most loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and when nine months had passed since his conception, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man. The important part of that prayer is 
desiring to consecrate the world by his most loving presence. Desiring to consecrate. When we think of consecrate, we think of setting apart. You and I are consecrated by our baptism. We're set apart for something new. When we consecrate a chalice, we take a piece of metal shaped into the form of a cup and we set it apart for something new. We talk about consecrating a church or consecrating a bishop. The act of consecration takes something ordinary and makes it extraordinary. So Jesus Christ, eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his most loving presence. His presence in the world consecrates the world. So that's the first prayer that we're going to look at. What is the meaning of Christmas? It has something to do with consecration. The second prayer that we look at is the preface. The preface is the part of the Eucharistic prayer that comes right before the Holy, Holy, Holy. And a lot of times, prefaces are particular to the feast that they're celebrating, or the season. And so we have three. The Church gives us three different prefaces for the Feast of the Nativity, also called Christmas. The first preface says this, For in the mystery of the Word made flesh, a new light of your glory has shone upon the eyes of our mind, so that as we recognize in him God made visible, we may be caught up through him in love of things invisible. So that as we recognize in him God made visible, we may be caught up through him in love of things invisible. The question, what is the meaning of Christmas, really is a question of what did Christ come to do? Because why was he here? Why was he born? We know the meaning of, we, we know that Christmas is the birth of Christ. That's what we're celebrating. But beyond that, what did he come to do? Why was he present among us? So that as we recognize in him God made visible, we may be caught up through him in love of things invisible. God becomes visible so that we might fall in love with things invisible. But it goes a step beyond that. It's not just so that we may love invisible things. It's deeper. And this is where Preface 2 comes in. This is what Preface 2 says, quote, For on the feast of this awe-filled mystery, though invisible in his divine nature, he, was appear he has appeared visibly in ours, and begotten before all ages, he has begun to exist in time, so that, raising up in himself all that was cast down, he might restore unity to all creation and call straying humanity back to the heavenly kingdom. Unquote. Whenever you see the phrase, so that, is, um, that, that's important. We want to pay attention to what, whatever comes after that. And in preface two, it says, 
raising up in himself all that was cast down. What was cast down? We were cast down, cast down through sin, cast down through death, cast down through suffering. We were the ones cast down. So that, raising up in himself all that was cast down, he might restore unity to all creation and call straying humanity back to the heavenly kingdom. This dovetails nicely with what's said in Preface 3, which I'll read now. Quote, For through him the holy exchange that restores our life has shone forth today in splendor. When our frailty is assumed by your word, not only does human mortality receive unending honor, but by this wondrous union we too are made eternal. Unquote. We too are made eternal. Why? How? By this wondrous union. What union? When our frailty is assumed by your word, this union of divine and human natures, Jesus Christ, one divine person, two natures, fully human, fully God. That's the basic Christology of Christianity back through the centuries. One divine person in two natures, fully human, fully God. God assumes a human nature. He doesn't just put it on like clothes that he can take off later. He becomes man. He becomes flesh. He becomes one of us. So that we too are made eternal. He unites humanity to divinity in himself, in his person. And then through that wondrous union, we have the opportunity to become eternal. We have the opportunity, that is to say, to have eternal life with him. Because we were cast down, and he has restored unity to all creation and called straying humanity back to the heavenly kingdom. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is what Christ came to do. Christ came to call us back, to call us back to eternal life with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. We, were, we are sinful, but Christ comes to call us back. This is the mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. It's the mystery of God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Again, apparently. I'm not a Latinist. But Emmanuel means God with us. I had this sense... I have this, this really, this is going to be a weird story, but I was at a bowling alley and I was buzzed. I had had quite a few drinks and I also was experiencing gastrointestinal distress and I went, I had to go to the bathroom. If you know me, if you know anything about me, I do not like using public restrooms. It's part of my experience of OCD. But it was 
such distress, I won't use the D word. Diarrhea. It was such distress that I had to go now. And so I went to the bathroom, and it was this just awful, little, disgusting bathroom. And I was sitting there, just letting it go. And I was a bit buzzed. And I had this awareness that God is with me even now, even here. It was this weird, just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a grace. It was the weirdest grace I've ever received. But it was like, God is here with me now, here, here, now. Even in this time, even in this place, even in all of these weird circumstances, the crazy surroundings and happenings and, and, um, that's, there it is. There it is. Raising up in himself all that was cast down. In that moment, I was cast down. (laughs) That is like the nice way of putting it. Philip was cast down. Philip was crapping his brains out in a bowling alley, disgusting restroom while drunk. He was cast down. And yet, Christ came to save me. Christ came to call my straying humanity back to the heavenly kingdom. By his wondrous union, I too can be made eternal. That's the meaning of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. That's the meaning of Christ's incarnation. All right. Continuing on with our journey with Harry Potter. It's midnight, and it's midnight on Harry Potter's birthday. And a thump is heard at the door. This is where last we left off. Remember that letters were trying to make their way to Harry. Letters galore. Hundreds and hundreds of letters by any imaginable means were trying to make their way to Harry, and every single time, they were thwarted. So now we're on chapter four. This summary is courtesy of sparknotes.com. The thump is heard again. A giant smashes down the door. Uncle Vernon threatens the giant with a gun, but the giant takes the gun and ties it into a knot. The giant presents Harry with a chocolate birthday cake and introduces himself as Hagrid, the keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. Hagrid is disturbed to find out that the Dursleys have never told Harry what Hogwarts is. 
Vernon tries to stop Hagrid from telling Harry about Hogwarts, but to no avail. Hagrid tells Harry that Harry is a wizard, and presents him with a letter of acceptance to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Vernon protests that he will not allow Harry to attend Hogwarts. Hagrid explains to Harry that the Dursleys have been lying all along about how the boy's parents died. Harry learns that they did not die in a car crash, as he had always thought, but were killed by the evil wizard Voldemort. Harry does not believe he could be a wizard, but then he realizes that the incident with the boa constrictor was an act of wizardry. With Uncle Vernon protesting, Hagrid takes Harry from the shack. It is ironic that we are reflecting on this chapter two days after Christmas. I say it's ironic because I find very strong parallels between this chapter and the Midnight Mass on Christmas. It is customary at the Midnight Mass to sing the Christmas Proclamation, the um, excerpt from the Roman Martyrology about the Nativity. If you want to hear it again, just rewind this podcast all the way back to the beginning, where I sing the Christmas Proclamation. It's only about two minutes, but it tells the story of the whole world being at peace. Jesus Christ became flesh. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And it goes into the dates, the exact dates of when that happened, situating the event itself into history, into human history. That's something beautiful about genealogies is they ground the person in human history, in the history of a particular parent and another particular parent. Jesus' genealogy shows us that, yes, this was a real man in this time and in this place. Not in this time and in this place, but in a time and a place. And so the Christmas proclamation proclaims that Jesus was born in a real time and in a real place. And this proclamation many times is sung when? At midnight. It's sung at the midnight mass. Reminiscent, of course, of the Easter proclamation, the exultet. Um... I'm blanking, otherwise I would sing the first three verses. But uh, not three verses, three measures. Three verses would be like three minutes. Um, But they're all reminiscent of each other, these things that happen in the night. And another thing happens in the night. A thump is heard on the door. And in comes a giant. In comes... The Dursley's worst nightmare. It's it, Hagrid is literally everything they hate about Lily Potter's world. He's magic. 
He's probably come on a flying bicycle. He uh, is a giant. I mean, he's, if you just think about the enormity of, of that situation, um, I, I can imagine, I don't think the movies do it justice. Uh, we do learn later on that, that Hagrid really is a half-giant, um, so maybe the movies do do it justice. But just imagine the Dursleys sort of cowering in the corner of this shack on an island. And Hagrid pops in and says, Oh, hey, Harry, you're a wizard, Harry. Uh, you know, you must have known that your mom and dad, they're famous, you're famous. Everything that the Dursleys hate about the wizarding world. And it's here. And he's come, and last week we talked about a message, that there was a message that was trying to make its way to Harry. And Harry finally, finally learns what the message is. And the message is that he is a wizard. He's different. He's set apart. He is of a different order than most people. Most people in the world are not wizards. Most people in the world are not wizards. There, there's, um, I'm actually thinking of reading this after we get through the Potter series. It's called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. And it is a fan fiction of Harry Potter that looks at what would the Harry Potter world be like basically if Vernon and um, Petunia Dursley were professors, university professors? How would that have changed Harry's upbringing? How would that change the series? And there's, there's a whole chapter on Punnett squares and um, genetics and it talks about how the wizard gene is a recessive gene. And um, it gets into the mathematics of what that would look like and why there are so few wizards in the world. Um, but yeah, going back to what I was saying, most people are not wizards. Most people are not witches. But Harry is. Harry is one of the ones set apart. He's one of the ones who is different. And he learns this message at midnight. In the middle of the night. When everybody else is sleeping. He learns this quote-unquote good news. This evangelion. That's where we get the word gospel from, the Greek word evangelion, good news. And so there are traces of the Catholic liturgical celebration in Harry Potter. This good news comes at precisely midnight, precisely the time when, granted, 
if your midnight mass is at midnight, the Christmas proclamation will be sung. The proclamation that Christ has come to do something, to set us apart, to bring us home, to raise us up. Harry is set apart, and he learns this at midnight. We are set apart, and on Christmas, we learn that at midnight. All right, next week is going to be fun. We're going to get our first dose of the wizarding world. Diagonally, here we come. It's going to be great. I don't know how long I can keep up. So far, this is only chapter four, but so far, I really haven't talked about the stories on a literal plane, on the literal level. When you think of Lexio Divina, you have kind of two levels. You've got a literal level and a spiritual level. And then the spiritual level is further subdivided into sublevels. But I've really only been talking about the books from a spiritual point of view. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll come up short next week and I won't be able to think of anything spiritual, so we'll have to talk about the books on a literal plane. But that's okay. Whatever does happen is going to be great, and I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't. I just can't wait. It's going to be awesome, friends. See you on the other side. That's all the time we have for today. We'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday's topic is going to be fun. I'm going to be sitting down with a good friend of mine and sister in Christ, Kelly Clark. Kelly and I have known each other for many, many years now, ever since um, before I was in the seminary. And she is, well, I don't want to spoil it. It's going to be a delightful interview, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Stay tuned for Wednesday's episode. Wizards theme stock media provided by Adam Monroe and Pond5. Shifflet is available on all major podcasting platforms and is recorded and produced by Philip J. Shifflet. Copyright 2021. Until next time, friends, be a saint. <laughs>